Last week, we kicked off a short sermon series called We Believe, Why We Say the Apostles' Creed. Norton introduced us to the idea of saying creeds in general and to the Apostles' Creed in particular, which is our statement of faith at New Denver. And we're continuing that series today, but I just want to say up front that I did not grow up saying creeds in church. My first exposure to the Apostles' Creed was when I came to New Denver about seven years ago. Saying creeds or doing anything that feels liturgical or high church was foreign to me before that, and it's still not a faith muscle that's very strong for me. I can confess this because he's in Guatemala and I cannot get fired today, but Norton a couple times now has lit incense for one worship service or another, and to be completely honest with you, each time he does it, my reaction is, ew. That doesn't help me connect with God. That just smells bad. Can we get like some vanilla in a diffuser instead? Maybe someone could bring in some essential oils, but those smell bad too. So how about a candle from Bath and Body Works? Is that like the same thing? Ancient practices are something that still do not feel natural or comfortable to me. And sometimes they can even feel stuffy or boring or out of touch. But over the years, the more I've been saying the Apostles' Creed, the more meaningful it's becoming. This is one ancient practice that even I can get behind. Last year, I finally typed up the words to the Apostles' Creed, and I made a bookmark out of it to keep in my Bible. On the back, I did our, uh, the prayer of confession that we pray once a month before communion. And I just wanted these words to be in front of me more often, that it wouldn't just be something that I said or thought about once a month, but that it would be something I could regularly look at. Because I'm finding that the Apostles' Creed is actually really cool. I'm learning to see it's not just words to say or to memorize, but it's like a painting. And when we step back and look at this as a work of art and we observe it and see its key features, we might discover that we're looking at something truly beautiful. So I know that when we say or read the creed, it might raise some questions for you. There's a lot of theology packed into a few short phrases, and you may not agree with everything or even just fully understand everything. But today, we aren't trying to get a lot of answers, and here's why. I'm not the artist of this painting. I did not create the Apostles' Creed, so I cannot explain all of the intricacies of it to you, but I'm becoming an admirer of this painting. And so today our goal is to simply step back and stare at the creed, and along the way I want to point out a few things that seem awe-inspiring to me, and not just to me, but to our church community as a whole, including those who came before us. I wasn't here when New Denver was first started, so I didn't choose the Apostles' Creed to be our statement of faith, but um, I've been welcomed into this community, and today I want to welcome you in as fellow admirers of this painting that we hold up once a month and say all together as well. This is a painting that we as a church hold dear. And this series is on why we say the Apostles' Creed, but today really our focus is just on why we love the Apostles' Creed. And there are lots of things we love about the Apostles' Creed. We think it's important and helpful because it's short and to the point. It's clear. It's old and historical. But there are three big reasons that we especially love the Apostles' Creed. And so those are what we want to tease out today. When we step back and look at the Creed as if it's a painting, here are the top three things that we appreciate. Number one, the Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian. The Creed has three main sections, and you'll notice that they're organized around the Trinity. So first and foremost, the Apostles' Creed reflects our belief in God as a triune God. 
And if you need a refresher or a crash course in Trinitarian theology, here's what I mean by Trinity. We believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's not three gods, but he's one God. Here's a diagram that might be helpful. This is from the ESV Study Bible, or maybe you've seen others like this one. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all God, and yet there is one God, not three. Clear as mud, if you feel like your brain is about to explode, that's okay. There is not necessarily contradiction in the, in the theology of the Trinity, but there's, there's mystery in it for sure. And all of the metaphors that we come up with to try to explain the Trinity and fit it into a nice, neat package are all just heresies, essentially. They, they all fall short, and they boil down to one heresy or another. So we aren't going to say today that the Trinity is like an apple or an egg or water and ice and vapor. We aren't going to try to prove the Trinity in a scientific way or boil it down to a state that our minds can fully comprehend, because we can't fully comprehend it. How the Trinity works is one of the biggest mysteries of our faith. But the good news is that when we sit in that mystery, we're sitting in good company. The authors of Scripture didn't try to explain the Trinity. They just talked about it as if it is. The Trinity, that word doesn't appear in the Bible, and we never get a full-blown explanation of it, but the theology is implicit, and we get lots of little glimpses that help us put together the pieces I like this verse because it highlights the three distinct persons of the Trinity. It's 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and Paul writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We know that as a good monotheistic Jew, Paul believed that there was only one God, and yet in this letter to the church in Corinth, he parses out Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit as somehow distinct. He doesn't defend it or try to explain it. He just says it. The writers of the Apostles' Creed didn't try to explain the Trinity either. They, too, just talked about it as if it is. They didn't use the word Trinity as the Creed came before refined theological statements about the Trinity. And yet, every time we say the Creed, it reminds us that our God is a triune God. It may not try to explain it, and it may not even be explicit in the Creed, but it's also not subtle. The three main sections are organized around God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A triune God, three in one. So as we step back to look at this creed, this painting, remember that we aren't nitpicking it or trying to get answers to all the questions that it raises, but we're appreciating the beauty. And here's what I think is the most beautiful thing about the Trinity as we understand it. The Trinity shows us what true love looks like. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love, and he shows us what real love looks like through the relationships within the Trinity. Each member of the Trinity loves, points to, even submits to one another. This is the one perfect picture of mutual love and respect that we get in its finest form, untarnished, unblemished, untainted. It's a beautiful picture. So the Apostles' Creed is divided into three sections, each with one member of the Trinity as its focus. And here's section one for us to read again. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What does the creed say about the first person of the Trinity? He's God. He's the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. That includes everything that there is. 
Here's the second section of the creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. The second section of the creed is all about the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who we know as Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. We'll come back to that section in a minute. Here's the third and final section of the creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The third section of the creed is centered around the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And what does the creed say about the Holy Spirit? It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Cool. That's helpful. That solves all the debates between denominations about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. I said I didn't grow up saying creeds, but to fill in my backstory a little bit more for those of you who are just getting to know me, I was raised Pentecostal. And my family moved around a little bit when I was young, but from 6th through 12th grade, we went to the same church, which was deeply influential in my faith, and which I still hold very close to my heart. And it was part of the Assemblies of God denomination. So we didn't say creeds, but we were very into the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if someone actually said this to me once or if it's just something I internalized over the years, but growing up, I didn't think that Baptists or Lutherans or pretty much anyone else were really Christians because the message I received was, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. And I know now that that's not true, but let's just say that people have lots of different understandings of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So if you were looking at the Apostles' Creed and hoping to get some clarity around the burning questions you have about the Trinity and how it works and you were disappointed, prepare to be disappointed again because what does it say about the Holy Spirit? We believe in the Holy Spirit. Gee, thanks, Apostles. The Apostles' Creed doesn't try to explain or defend how the Trinity works and exactly what roles each member of the Trinity plays down to the detail, but certainly this Creed is Trinitarian in nature, and we see that from the general structure of the three sections. So when we remember that the Trinity is the best and only perfect picture of what true love looks like, when we look at this Creed, this painting centered around who our God is as a triune God, three in one, we can't help but see something beautiful. The second reason we love the Apostles' Creed so much is that it's Christocentric. It's Trinitarian, and it's Christocentric. That's another big word, but it just means it's centered around Jesus. When we try to get to know God and understand who he is, and we discover that he's triune for us, mere humans trying to comprehend that and how a three-in-one God works, it poses a lot of mystery, but then a lot of clarity comes through Christ. Colossians 1 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus shows us with skin on what God is like. Hebrews 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. To know Jesus is to know God. Jesus says to know me is to know the Father. To see Jesus is to see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We say the Apostles' Creed is Christocentric because it's centered on Jesus, literally in the center of the creed, in the second section, which is the longest section by far, 
It's all about who Jesus is and what he's done. And this focus on Jesus does not minimize the significance of the other two members of the Trinity, but it reflects what the Bible teaches, that to see and know Jesus is to see and know God as a whole. Second member of the Trinity has always existed, but he came to earth in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully human. Jesus is the clearest picture we get of who God is and what he's like. So when we look at this creed and we see Jesus, that is a thing of beauty. Let's read the second section again. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I think what's maybe most striking to me in this section is how it's all historical in nature. Have you ever noticed that we come to church and once a month we say the name of an ancient Roman governor? We read our statement of faith together and we affirm our belief in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. That is extremely specific. It's because our faith is in a real historical person who lived and died and rose again. And without our belief in Jesus, our faith is nothing. I'm not making this up. Norton mentioned last week that we have examples of creeds in the Bible, like the Shema in the Old Testament. Here's an example of a creed we have in the New Testament. Paul writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Does this sound familiar? These are the things that the first followers of Jesus thought were super important and had begun to preach and to pass on in the early church. And this creed that Paul is quoting is centered around the historical person of Jesus. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he was raised. Paul is saying, these are the things that we know to be true and that we believe. Paul goes on to say that Jesus appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the 12 disciples, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or died. In the early church, they were passing down these facts about Jesus. And don't miss what Paul says. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. Did you know that? It wasn't just a few oddballs that claimed to see a dead man walking. More than 500 people claimed to see Jesus again after he died. And when Paul is writing, he says that most of these people are still living. In his letter to the church in Corinth, he's saying, here's our creed. We believe in Jesus. This is what we know happened. But if you don't believe me, that's fine. Go talk to one of the hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus raised from the dead and get their story. We don't have that luxury today to go talk to an original eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection, but we, like Paul, are recipients of a creed that has been passed down and passed down that points to a Jesus, a real historical Jesus. Paul even says a few verses later, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Our Christian faith is entirely dependent on the real historical person of Jesus the second member of the Trinity, God himself, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, who was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. If this isn't real, if this didn't happen, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. 
We love the Apostles' Creed because it's beautifully and completely centered on the real historical person of Jesus. The third reason we love the Apostles' Creed is because it's universal. What do we mean by universal? We mean that all churches within global Christianity affirm the Apostles' Creed. It's a unifying statement that's not just for people in one time or in one place. It's a creed that has lasted through the ages and been proclaimed by people around the world. And when we say it here at New Denver, we get to participate in that. It's beautiful because it reminds us that we're a part of a bigger universal church or community of believers. And in fact, the apostles' desire for their creed to be that kind of statement is explicit in the third section. Here's the third section for us to look at together one last time. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic here doesn't refer to Roman Catholic, like Catholic versus Protestant. Catholic with a lowercase c means universal, accepted by everyone, everywhere. The communion of saints around the world and throughout the centuries. This is the church that we believe in. And it's important to point out that we find this in the section about the Holy Spirit. So the apostles don't totally leave us hanging when it comes to the work or role of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. He's the unifier of the church. Our good Trinitarian verse from Paul in 2 Corinthians said, May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I don't love that word fellowship because it sounds so churchy and we don't see that used much these days outside of religious context, but we already said Trinitarian and Christocentric today, so we'll just go with it. The Holy Spirit unifies the church. He's God at work in the world today, offering forgiveness, making us more like Jesus, and binding the church together. He brings God's people together and creates an environment of love and belonging and interdependency and fellowship, unity, even in diversity. The creed highlights this, and when we say the creed, we as members of a universal church stand together and acknowledge our belief in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to see the beauty of this creed? We love the Apostles' Creed. We love that it's Trinitarian, Christocentric, and universal. We say the Apostles' Creed because we love the Apostles' Creed. The creed is a tool that helps remind us of the people that we want to be. It's like a mirror that we hold up to ourselves and ask, is this true of us as a community? Are we still Trinitarian, holding firm to our belief in God as three in one and uplifting each member of the Trinity as worthy of our worship? In our relationships, are we following the triune God's example of true, perfect love? Are we still Christocentric, making Jesus the focal point of everything we do? Our mission in New Denver is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So when we say the creed, it reminds us of who Jesus is and allows us to stick more closely to that mission. And are we still universal, standing with others around our city, around our nation, and around the world, affirming these beliefs together and recognizing that we are one small part of the greater work that God has been doing throughout history and is continuing to do? We love the Apostles' Creed. I know the creed still raises lots of questions and includes things that we completely glossed over today. Maybe you're thinking, okay, okay, I can see how it's like a beautiful painting, but virgin birth? <laughs> Descended to the dead? Coming back to judge? I got some questions. 
The good news is that we'll be recording a podcast this week to dive into the nitty gritty of the creed. And by we, I mean Norton will be recording a podcast this week and he'll answer all of your lingering questions. Okay, you probably still won't walk away nailing the intricacies of the Trinity, but he will provide more of a line-by-line commentary. Today is about zooming out and appreciating the beauty of this creed, but this week's podcast will be about zooming in and highlighting some of those more controversial topics in the creed. So tune in for that. And then come back next Sunday. Stephen will be wrapping up our series, and it's the week that I'm most excited for, like, by far. You do not want to miss what he has to say. Will you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for the faithfulness of your people, that the apostles wrote down these statements about who you are, and that they've been passed down and passed down and passed down, And now we get to read these words and reflect on the beauty of you as three in one, of you as a real historical person where we can see your character, we can see your love so clearly with skin on through Jesus. We thank you that we have the means of being united with other believers around the world, that that it's not just us meeting in one little room in the city of Denver, but that we stand with the Orthodox Church, that we can affirm these words together with so many people throughout the centuries. We thank you, God, for, for the Apostles' Creed and for this chance to come together and to worship you as a community of believers affirming these things with one another. Jesus name amen <laughs>